Psalm 97. The Lord reigns, let the earth be glad, let the distant shores rejoice. Clouds and thick darkness surround him, righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and consumes his foes on every side. His lightning lights up the world, the earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness, and all peoples see his glory. And all who worship images are put to shame. Those who boast in idols, worship him, all you gods. Zion hears and rejoices, and the villages of Judah are glad because of your judgments, Lord. For you, Lord, are the most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. Let those who love the Lord hate evil, for he guards the lives of his faithful ones and delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light shines on the righteous and joy on the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, you who are righteous, and praise his holy name. Well, uh, last week we looked, if you were here with us last week, uh, we looked at, in Psalm 96, it's this great psalm of just joy and wonder. It talks about singing a new song in our hearts to God, and we thought about how Christmas can do that for us, singing this new song. Today, um, instead of kind of joy and wonder in a sceptical age, which was the sort of thing we looked at last week, we're thinking about awe um, in a bit of a dull age. <laughs> oh, that's uh, how I've kind of put it there. But it, it's easy to, uh, for us to, it's easy to kind of insulate ourselves, isn't it, from being overawed. Um, there's something a little bit scary about being overawed. So, and it's easy, and, and probably technology helps us do this. We can just control our environment much more than we ever have been able to before, uh, so that we kind of never get surprised by anything. <laughs> Um, and we can always feel that sense of being in control. Um, uh, but every now and again, awe can break through, can't it? Um, I, one, one time in kind of recent history where it really did that for me was a few years ago. It was actually um, when a small group, who was the nucleus of this church, were meeting out at um, Middleton, and we were meeting there on Sunday afternoons for a Bible study group, so this was around the end of 2014, before we'd started as a church. Um, and uh, uh, we were living, our family was living up in Kerry Gully at the time, so we were kind of driving down for that and driving back up for then. Uh, and one of the times we met, um, uh, at the end, it was nighttime, we'd drive back at night, and uh, there was the most amazing, <laughs> like incredible lightning storm I think I've ever seen. And uh, it was particularly driving from Goolwa. This isn't a picture of it. It was just the, you know, but it kind of looked like this. Um, particularly, it was driving from Goolwa up to Strath and Mount Barker uh, when you get those big plains and you can see um, out towards Adelaide. And it was absolutely terrifying, actually. Uh, there was this, it was just constant lightning. It was, it was a dark night, but it was totally lit up because constant lightning flashes all around us um, and several times we had the kids in the car and we were kind of like, should we turn back and find somewhere to stay down? But we didn't. We, got, we reached the point of no return and had to push through. Uh, it, was te- it was pretty terrifying, but it was also awesome. Like, just thought, yeah, when you're confronted with a power like that, um, that is just beyond your imagination, um, it, kinda, it cuts through the distractions, right? 
cuts through your everyday worries, your everyday pleasures. And maybe you've had a similar experience, often it's with nature, like maybe if, if you're a bushwalker you might have the same sort of experiences, but in other ways as well. That sense of slightly scared but overawed can break through, can't it? can break into our everyday. Well, Psalm 97 is all about the awesome power of God. Um, and it's, I don't think it's all that surprising that when the writer wants to help us as we read this psalm, when he wants to help us feel some sense of that for ourselves, um, he, what he turns to, what's sort of in our own experience, is these natural events, these stunning natural events that help us to feel something of what we should feel if we really know the reality of the awesome power of God. Um, verse 1, it's up on the screen in your Bibles. If, uh, there should be a bookmark there if you had one on the way in as well. Verse 1, the Lord reigns. Let the earth be glad. Let the distant shores rejoice. Clouds and thick darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and consumes his foes on every side. His lightning lights up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness and all the peoples see his glory. So we're saying it's, it's inviting you to imagine the most kind of furious storm. These thick clouds are so thick you can't see through them. All the sunlight is cut off. And the only light, though, is coming from these incredible flashes of lightning or from the fire that's sort of going out before it, earthquakes that cause the whole, like, cause whole mountains to just crumble away. Um, if you can imagine that, maybe you've been in a situation where you've had some kind of experience um, like that, but if you can imagine that, this psalm is saying, you're getting some way to imagining um, the awesome power of God. Well, the picture here in these verses is of God coming to his world as its true king, as some of this procession, this triumphal procession of God into his world. He's coming in majestic and awe-inspiring sort of procession that the, that the whole world knows about, the whole world is going to... Uh, and that the whole world rejoices in. You pick that up in verse 1, uh, back in verse 1. The Lord reigns, let the earth be glad. Let the distant shores rejoice. Um, it's kind of similar to last week. If you were with us last week, we looked at Psalm 96 and it talked about the earth breaking out into joy because the Lord was coming to judge the earth in righteousness and truth. And we kind of reflected on how, um, how different that is to sometimes our own response to thinking about the judgment of God. Uh, in the Bible, that, that it's fundamentally a really wonderful, positive thing. God coming to deal with evil and suffering and death. Here there's something similar to that. This, this unmatched power of God has the same effect. Um, it's a kind of, it's this deep joy. But it's also a joy that's tinted with some kind of fear, right? Or awe. Um, 
It's something, uh, uh, there's uh, an American author called John Piper who gets, uh, I think captures this really well. He talks about, well, in one of his books he talks about, um, he asked you to imagine you're in this terrifying Arctic storm. Um, and you're in this storm and you fear it's just going to blow you over the cliff. Uh, but then you discover, as you're kind of in this terrifying storm, you discover a little cleft, a little kind of cleft that you can hide in, and you can, even though you're, you're safe in there, and you can watch the storm go past you. And he writes this, At first there was the fear that this terrible storm and awesome terrain might claim your life, but then you found a refuge and gained the hope that you would be safe. But not everything in the feeling called fear vanished from your heart. Only the life-threatening part. There remained the trembling, the awe, the wonder, the feeling that you would never want to tangle with such a storm or be the adversary of such power. The fear of God is what is left of the storm when you have a safe place to watch, watch it in the middle of it. Oh, the thrill of being here in the center of the awful power of God, awful as in full of awe, awful power of God, yet protected by God himself. Christmas proclaims the coming of God in Jesus in order to provide that safe place, that cleft in the storm where we can be sheltered by God himself, sheltered by his own hands. The joy Christmas brings um, is this kind of awe-filled joy. Um, well, and kind of like last week as well, um, the psalm turns to the reality, what the Bible calls idolatry, to help us sort of fill this out. Um, as we keep reading, um, idolatry in the Bible is anything, that, anything or anyone that we put in God's place. Um, uh, when the psalm was written, there were many actual kind of statues, idols, in the nations around. Um, uh, there's a whole range of so-called of gods that these statues sort of plugged into, but it can be anything. Um, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says that greed is idolatry. Um, so it, it's, it's taking anything, so any, any good thing like money. It's, idolatry is taking a good thing and turning it into a god thing. <laughs> Um, taking something that's good, but putting it in only God's the place that only God can have. Um, you can add to that all kinds of things: relationships, power, influence, control, entertainment. You know, whatever it is that we look to to give us that meaning and security that only God can provide. We look to them. We keep looking to them, but they they can't actually deliver. Uh, our idols just don't stack up. That's what it goes on to say. In verse 7, All who worship idols are put to shame, those who boast in idols. Worship him, all you gods. Zion hears and rejoices. And they're talking about the Old Testament people of God here, the Israelites. Though this side of Jesus, this is us, all everyone who's trusting in, in Jesus. Zion hears and rejoices, and the villages of Judah are glad because of your judgments, Lord. For you, Lord, are the most high over all, earth, all the earth. You're exalted far above all gods. There's something about knowing this God in contrast to idols that makes people rejoice, that makes them 
be glad. It makes them be glad. Um, I think this has been captured, again, I'm gonna, there's, a, there's a quote that I'll read out. It's captured by uh, a novelist who's not alive anymore. His name was David Foster Wallace. He's not a Christian novelist, uh, not a Christian, but he, he sort of captured this reality, I think, really powerfully and sort of confront, confrontingly. He says, he says this, everyone worships. Um, and he, he goes on to show how the idols we so often follow, they never actually deliver. Um, if you worship money in things, if they're where you tap real meaning in life, then you'll never have enough. You'll never feel you have enough. Worship your body and beauty and you'll always feel ugly and when the time and age start showing, you'll die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. I mean, it's pretty intense, right? But you get what he's saying? Worship power and you'll end up feeling weak and afraid. You'll need ever more power over others to numb your own fear. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, you'll end up feeling stupid or fraud, always on the verge of being found out. Um, it's pretty graphic, right? But what did you see what he's getting at? Idolatry isn't just actual you know, statues. It can be anything that takes God's place in our heart. And those things don't actually deliver what they promise. Why does knowing this God make his people rejoice? It's because our idols promise the world but only deliver slavery. But this, this God, knowing this God, and not, not just knowing about him, but knowing him, the Lord of all the earth, who is also your God, who is also your Father through Jesus, the God who you can fully trust on, trust in and rely on, the God who um, all those instincts that you're looking to other things in your life to fulfill, the, the God who can fully, finally, eternally satisfy them, that brings freedom, real and lasting and deep deliverance and peace. Here is one who we can worship, who won't disappoint, who won't disappoint, who will actually give us life. Well, knowing this God uh, makes his people rejoice, but it also makes them, well, it gives them a new heart and a desire for a new kind of life. That's what the psalm finishes up with. Um, if you picked up right at the beginning of the psalm, though, in verse 2, it talks about righteousness and justice are the foundation of this God's throne. And he's, sort of, he's coming in, and right, as the, his righteousness and justice are at the very essence of who God is. And the psalm finishes up here, um, as you keep reading, and uh, it finishes up and it urges us to take on God's righteousness and justice for ourselves. Um, verse 10. Let those who love the Lord hate evil, for he guards the lives of his faithful ones. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light shines on the righteous and joy on the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, you who are righteous, and praise his holy name. Well, this is another insight 
I think, into the wonder of Christmas. Now, the joy of Christmas. If you know anything about the story of the Bible, where this is sort of set, the sad story of Israel in the Old Testament is, um, in the end, no one fits the bill. No one, fits, no one actually fits that description. Um, those who are upright in heart and who are the righteous. Not all the time, not perfectly. Um, there's no one who actually kind of fits that category. That was the story. That was the story of the Old Testament. That was the story until the first Christmas. Um, Jesus the eternal Son, made God made flesh, the only person who was completely righteous, the one who was perfectly upright in hearts, and he's the wonder of the gospel, friends. That one. His love was so great. He could have been delivered from the hands of the wicked. The psalm says here, let the, the righteous, God's, God, God will guard the lives of his faithful one and deliver them. Jesus could have been delivered from them but he let himself be delivered up to them he didn't guard his own life the only one who could have rightly escaped that he didn't guard his own life but he gave it up so that in him you might become the righteousness of God in him you might receive Righteousness as a free gift. In him you might have his righteousness covering you and so that you can put yourself in this psalm. Let those who love the Lord. Well, Christmas means, Christmas means we can hear this call that the psalm ends with, not anxiously, not as a condemnation, but in the covered in the perfect righteousness of Jesus, we can hear this as a call to us. Let those who love this Lord with an awe-filled joy, let them hate evil, for he guards your life. He will deliver you from your great enemies, from sin and death. In Jesus, light and joy shine on you. That's why we sing at Christmas time and all the time. <laughs> okay. Well, over the last few weeks, as I said, um, we've looked at these psalms. We've kind of tried to journey. We've tried to prepare ourselves well for Christmas. Um, we looked at, in the first one of this series at longing for Jesus. Um, we had a psalm of just real longing for God to come and set things right. A psalm of someone who was really grieving and all they could do was cast themselves on God and ask him to come. Um, and we reflected on how that can shape us to long for Jesus' return, to come and make all things new. Um, we, we looked the next week at listening this Christmas, listening to God's word um, from Psalm 95. Last week, we reflected on the real open-hearted, childlike joy that Christmas offers us. This new song, this thrill of hope as the weary world rejoices. We'll sing that next week at carols, so come along then. 
Um, next week, not on carols, we won't be doing a psalm then. On Christmas Day, though, we're going to reflect on Psalm 98. And Psalm 98, it, it's um, just this, it's an outpouring of praise. There's no kind of comparisons or negative sort of comparisons to others. It's just this uh, uh, joyous overflow of praise. So that's what we'll look at on Christmas Day. But this psalm, this psalm opens up not just how we can be those who hear this Christmas, not just those who ha- how we can be those who have joy this Christmas, not just those who can have longing this Christmas. This psalm opens up for us how we can have an awe-filled Christmas. I thought about writing an awful Christmas, but you might get the wrong impression, right? Uh, have an awful Christmas <laughs> in the right sense, you know. Um, to have for yourself that moment of having your breath taken away, of holy fear, of awe at what is going on as we celebrate this baby in a manger. At awe, of awe at who this God is who comes to us in Jesus who is holy in his majesty, who is the Lord of all the earth, whose lightning lights up the world. Christmas is the news that he stooped down for you, to save you. And in his stooping, he is still this Lord of Psalm 97. And of course the Christmas story continues and proclaims that this one will come again. And when he does come, that will be the complete fulfillment of Psalm 97. Um, We're going to sing a song that kind of talks about that in a moment. It's a really great carol called Once in Royal David City. It talks about the first coming of Jesus. And then the last verse says this, Not in that poor lowly stable with the oxen standing by we shall see him, but in heaven... Set at God's right hand on high, where like stars his children crowned, all in white shall gather round. That's going to be awesome. It's going to be awful in the right sense. It's going to be, you're going to be filled with awe at that moment. And so, friends, I just want to leave us with the call of this psalm. Um, this psalm calls us not only to have a feeling of awe, it does call for that, doesn't it? To remind us of the reality of what's going on in the gospel, in what we celebrate at Christmas, what we remind ourselves of every week here at church. It does involve that feeling of awe, but do you notice in the psalm, it's an awe that works itself out in your life. It's an awe that works itself out in a life that desires to be shaped by God's righteousness and justice, by his holiness. By, it puts it pretty extreme, doesn't it? By hating evil. Um, A life that is shaped by God in turning from idols. So, It's right for us to ask ourselves this question as we 
Uh, reflect on this psalm in the lead up to Christmas. Christmas is often the time where you let go, right? <laughs> uh, and there's something good about that. There's a, there's a rightness about just, you know, you, you let go, you relax. Um, but if we get a sense of the awe of Christmas, um, it, would, it, it would just not make sense to let go in terms of our relationship with God, would it? Um, in terms of our, our own holiness, our own desire to live a life that pleases this God, our own, our own dealing with the evil that we, we do, with our own sin. Knowing this God means we, don't ex- we won't cover over or excuse our own darkness. Um, those who know and love this God don't excuse the darkness in our own lives. Um, they hate it, actually, as it says here. They, they thank God, they thank God for his gift, of, free gift of forgiveness and grace through Jesus. His free gift of righteousness but they also live in joyful fear. They plead with God to make that righteousness that is a gift through Christ, to make that an increasing reality in their own hearts for you to pray, to plead with him for this kind of upright heart. I'm going to pray for us now as we, that we might do that, that God might do that among us, that this Christmas as we celebrate, we'll have a celebration filled with awe, And that will flow out into our own lives. Can you pray with me? Let's pray. The Lord reigns. Let the earth be glad. Let the distant shores rejoice. Father, the news that you reign is good news. The news of your power and might gives life to this world. The news of your light is light to a dark world. Lord, we pray that as we celebrate Christmas this year that you might do a work in each of our hearts that we might not only celebrate um, many of the good things about Christmas but that our joy will be tinged with this right, holy awe at who you are. Help us to figure out how to work that out in our own lives. Um, Please, Father, help us where we are stuck in habits and sins that lead us away from you. Um, May we repent before you and bring them to you and Lord, may you work within us a heart that desires you and your goodness. Um, Lord, as we approach Christmas next week, uh, give us that deepening sense of both awe and joy that we might be a great light to this world. Um, speaking and testifying to the life-changing reality of the gospel. And we pray this for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.